when I was 11, it was 1990, and it was, wait, can I cuss? Yeah, please. Thank God. Hello, everybody. I am Summer Kinsey, your host of Aesthetic Survival Podcast. This podcast was designed for women who are just going through life. We talk about everything from skincare to our trauma, keeping it 100% in a real and relatable way. You can expect tears, laughter, advice, and of course, words of encouragement. So if you're looking for a place to feel like one of the girls, this is it. This podcast has been heavy on my heart. My voice matters and so does yours. All right, as usual, I will start this off with a trigger warning. This does include sexual assault to a child. So if that is not something that you want to hear about today, feel free to skip this episode. However, the harder parts, I will include another trigger warning as it does go into pretty good detail from the mouth of the survivor. If that is something that you want to skip over, I will definitely give you a heads up so that you can skip past that. Um, And if not, then at least you're prepared for what you're about to hear. 82% of all juvenile sexual assault victims are female. Out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, 975 perpetrators will walk free. 310 are reported to police. 50 reports lead to an arrest. Of those 50 reports, 28 cases will lead to a felony conviction. 25 of those 28 will see jail time. So us as women, we are always told that if a sexual assault is to occur, to make sure that for one, we are safe um, after the incident happens, then the idea is to call the police, go to the hospital, have a rape kit done, and you would then collect the evidence, um, DNA evidence, take pictures, document everything. And then the police would just find the person who assaulted you and then they would go to jail. However, that is the most ideal scenario, but that generally does not happen. For one, sometimes it takes us a long time to process what has happened, to decide whether or not we want to even deal with it after the traumatic incident. But for 11-year-old Liz Bradshaw, she did everything by the book to ensure that the man who hurt her would be put away. That is not what happened. Liz grew up in South Florida. She is from Brevard County. She grew up in Melbourne, Florida. She was actually Little Miss South Brevard at three years old. She was raised by her adoptive family, and she eventually actually was able to find her biological siblings, which was a godsend for her. During the interview with Liz, she explained to me that she was raised by her adoptive parents, like I said. However, her adoptive mother was not the nicest person. She um, actually described her as satanic, I believe. Um, However, her adoptive father was her most favorite person. The day after Liz's 11th birthday, her adoptive father actually passed away. That was an extremely hard and dark 
time for Liz. Shortly thereafter the passing of her adoptive father, her mom started dating a man named Paul. And I know you think this is where it's leading, but it's not. Paul is actually an amazing figure in her life. He helped her through the trauma of losing her her dad, and he was just there for her. He was an amazing person. However, Paul had a brother. Paul's brother was seemingly an alcoholic and a drug abuser, and he would often frequent bars, overdo it, and the bar was near Liz's house, so he would come over and sleep it off, and then he would go home until one night when he didn't. And nine months after my dad died, Paul's brother raped me. He had gotten drunk at a bar down the street from our house. It was called Rick's Oak Tree. And uh, they had an oak tree growing in the middle of the bar. Like, as a kid, it was the coolest thing to see. And uh, it wasn't unusual for Brian to get trashed and, you know, call to sleep it off at our house. So he called and they said yes. And I remember we were sitting in the living room watching movies when he got there. And I went to bed like normal. I know that there are some people who absolutely do not want to hear the retelling of someone's assault. However, I decided to include that aspect into this episode because for one, when I was interviewing Liz, I told her that I want her to tell me everything that she feels comfortable telling me. I did not ask for details. I think that every person deals with their trauma differently. However, some people may find comfort in knowing exactly what happened to her. You know, as a a victim of sexual assault myself, sometimes hearing things that happen to other people is somewhat comforting knowing that you are not alone. So with that being said, here's your warning. If you do not want to hear the retelling of Liz's assault that night, then skip forward one minute. Everything was normal. And I woke up to Brian on top of me, trying to force his penis inside of me, but I was 11. It wasn't working. And he realized I was awake and he started like using his forearm to like push me into the bed and I froze. This is the dude that like had whapped me in my mouth for talking back at my mom once at a barbecue. Like, eh. so I, I was fucking terrified i was 11 like i so he does what he does and rapes me couldn't fit it inside of me so he proceeded to rub on me with his body and like he then came all over me and got up and i'll never forget like you ever see a redneck hitch up their belt or they're getting dressed to this like i could never date a dude with belt buckle like I, that just sets me off. Like I just I can't take it. Um, and he hitched up his little belt buckle thing and walked out. And uh, I kind of cried for a while, and I wanted my mom. Liz exited her room, and directly in front of her is where the kitchen was. Brian was in there, and he looked at Liz and nonchalantly said, "Do you know if the." The cups in the cupboard are clean. And she lost her fucking mind. She started screaming. She started throwing cups. 
and Brian decided that he probably should get the fuck out of there. So he left out the front door and she started banging on her mom's door. Her mom and her mom's boyfriend opened the door and in so many words, as as well as an 11-year-old can explain rape, she told her mom what happened. She told her mom that there was stuff all over her. Her mom's boyfriend looked at her mom and said, I'm going to fucking kill him. Now, at this point, they did everything that they should have done by the book. They called the police. The police came out. They did a rape kit. They collected all of the evidence that they needed, her bed sheets, her nightgown, her undies, everything. Fast forward about seven months, six months, and uh, Paul committed suicide, my mom's boyfriend. He came to me and he told me goodbye, but I thought... Like I was, I was a stupid fucking 12 year old man. I thought he was breaking up with my mom. I didn't fucking know what suicide was. Not then. And it was just, he told me how much he loved me and that he wasn't going to see me again. And that he wished he could have protected me. And he hung himself. From here is pretty much where that ends. After Liz turned 12, her mother told her that Brian Doobie was dead. Her mom was told that by another source. So as a 12-year-old, you take that information and it's truth, correct? Listen, you guys, this part is going to blow your fucking mind. This was 1990, okay? I, th- I believe it was 1991 when she was told that Brian was dead. Let's just fast forward to 2022, She's still living in Brevard County. She's now a grandmother. She was taking her grandson to the zoo. They got done. They went to the local gas station. They walk in and she is smacked in the face with the ghost of her rapist. So I go home and I start searching and I found Paul's obituary, but Ryan's alive. My county is 70 something miles long. I live at the bottom half. He lives in the top half. So being at the zoo in the north part of the county that day was completely in chance. And it's crazy to me that, like, he, he wasn't dead. So I start looking in. We have a clerk's website, right? You can check anybody's charges out, this and that. And there was nothing. Like, I saw where he had had like FTAs for missing court, drunk driving, gun charges, all dismissed and shit, but nothing for me. So I call the state attorney and I'm like, hi, my name is, you know, Elizabeth Bradshaw. When I was a kid, I was Elizabeth Totten. I need anything regarding my rape in the nineties. And the state attorney goes back and they said, we don't have anything. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> hold up. Hold up. So I called the Melbourne Police Department. Same thing, you know. My name is Elizabeth Bradshaw. When I was a kid, I was Liz Totten. This is the address I lived at. I need any reports regarding a sexual assault at that address. And uh, about a week later, I got an email. And that's when shit just fucking hit the fan. So in the email that Liz received, there were crime scene reports narrative from her recollection of what happened to her that night, the FDLE rape kit results outlining her injuries, as well as his blood type. Upon digging more and trying to find out more about Brian Doobie, 
Um, she did find out where he lived. He lives in a trailer park as an unregistered sex offender. Nobody has any idea of the person that he actually is. And that trailer park is filled with kids and he lives on a dead end street. Um, and there's absolutely nothing that she can do about that. Liz ended up going to the Melbourne Police Department, I believe, in the beginning of November, um, and she spoke with an officer, and he said, what do you want more? Finding out why it happened, why nothing ever happened, or getting him off the street, which is a very weird and suspect thing to, to ask. For one, fuck yeah, we want to know why it was covered up and nobody went to jail, um, but also we want him off of the streets. How about we do both? At least one. Let's get him off the street and then figure out why in 1990 nobody arrested him. So what they did, being that the rape kit was purged, was the Melbourne Police Department had Liz do a controlled call to Brian from her cell phone. And of course, Brian hung up. He didn't answer any of her questions. So basically, after that, the Melbourne Police Department said that they were going to investigate and three months go by and, and nothing happens. Um, she did find out that they did try to interview him and he denied everything, of course. Um, so what happened was the investigator on the case submitted a non-arrest information to the state of Florida. Um, so that was from January to April that it was at the state attorney's office and the state attorney denied it during that time from January to April, Liz called them constantly to be like, Hey, what's going on? Are we doing something? Can we get this going? And, and nothing. She has just kind of been backburned by everybody. They basically said that due to a lack of evidence, even though there is first-hand account from Liz as a child, there's not enough evidence that Brian Doobie is her rapist. And that's where we sit today. You know, it's, it's really, really sad and very unfortunate to her and everyone else in that community that the rape kit was never followed through on and he was never arrested. The results were sent. They got it back, but they never compared it to Brian Doobie. They never arrested him. They never did what they were supposed to do. So at this point, you know, Liz is very, very distraught. I completely understand. And she's only asking for two things. She wants therapy because this has fucked her up like twice, you know, the initial assault and then reliving everything again and realizing that her rapist is still alive. And she wants him off of the streets. So what do we do at this point? Do, are, is anything ever going to happen? Is he going to come forward? I feel like that is pretty much at this point the only thing that will get an arrest is if he were to admit to what he did. But in, in my mind, there's no way that he's just going to come forward unless he is pushed to say something, which means that he needs to be questioned and it's just not happening. I just want to say a couple of things. Um, for one, Liz, I am so sorry that this is what you are dealing with. You should not have ever had to relive this like you are. And if anyone out there has had a similar experience, I'm sorry as well. 
it is not fair. It is not okay. And there should definitely be some action taken to get justice for you and to make sure that nobody else is ever hurt by these people again. If you or anyone you know has ever encountered Brian Doobie or has ever heard of this story and you are willing to be an advocate for Liz, please feel free to reach out. Also, if you feel inclined to help Liz on her journey to getting the therapy that she wants, there is a link to her GoFundMe in the show notes, so feel free to reach out. If you have a story that you're ready to share, you can submit it to aestheticsurvivalpodcast at gmail.com or visit me on my website, which is www.summerkinseybeautyco.com slash aestheticsurvivalpodcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, make sure you wear your SPF.